Bowtech Archery prides themselves on offering a bow for everyone. Whether you have a short draw length, a long draw length, pull 70 pounds or 40 pounds, you're a bow hunter or a target archer, they offer a bow that can be customized to fit your body type. On top of that, their deadlock technology allows you to fine-tune your arrow flight. Visit BowTechArchery.com and check out the SR350 and the CP28. Bowtech Archery, refuse to follow. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. Welcome to the Antler Up Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Antler Up Podcast. On today's episode, Dimitri and I are joined by Zach Farinbaugh from The Hunting Public. And Zach needs no introduction into the show. And we got right into chatting about his first couple hunts like antelope that he has going on. This led into what he is slash has been doing to prepare for this upcoming season. Then a topic I truly enjoy chatting about, and that is how scouting for whitetails has evolved over the last few seasons for him. And man, of course, there are a ton of examples that I believe not only is going to help me, but I think you could adapt as well for, you know, obviously even this year and, and for years to come. This was a total blast of a podcast to record. I hope you really like it. Enjoy today's episode. Thanks for tuning in and Ambler Up. Before we get into this episode, I want to share with you a few discount codes that will help you save some money and get ready for this upcoming season. Black Rifle Coffee is a veteran-owned coffee company serving premium coffee to people who love America and fall is upon us. There's no better way to get out there and fuel for a hunt than with some Black Rifle Coffee. Fuel your next adventure and purchase at blackriflecoffee.com and use code ANTLER at checkout to save 20% off your next purchase or your first coffee club subscription. Last year was a wild year for censorship for hunters and anglers. We partnered with social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media censorship. Go Wild was built by outdoorsmen and women by hunters and anglers just like you. Go Wild is a free social community. Not only are your photos not censored, they're encouraged on Go Wild. And Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. As you earn points, you unlock awesome rewards too such as gift cards, free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and so much more. Oh, and if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. Visit and download GoWild.com to get started. What's up, everybody? We're back. Uh, I have a special guest on the other line of our podcast this evening. We got Zach Farinbaugh from The Hunting Public. Uh, Zach, man, thanks for coming on the show, dude. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm like I said, I'm just excited to be doing something different other than editing the same video I have been for too long. <laughs> too long. Well, you guys do a killer job. That video, the one that you were just talking about, you edited the first part of the early season scouting thing. Not only did I watch that 20-minute video, but I also listened to that podcast, and I listened to the part two already. So even yeah. so, when you drop this video, I'll still watch that just to kind of – I really like the way uh, you drop the video scenarios to it. Uh, actually what's really neat. And I love that because last year 
I had the idea to do something similar with the guys from Tethered. I was like, mm-hmm. hey, I have this idea, but I came up with the idea like now, right when hunting yeah. season obviously comes about and no one's available to get together. And I right. wanted to do it so that like we could talk about maybe, you know, it could have been just one major episode with different people in it. Just saying like, hey, when you're in the saddle and you have a weak side shot, explain this situation. And maybe Taylor Chamberlain could have been like, here's, here's the way I handle it and blah, 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 blah. And we could have slapped the video from that hunt. You know what I mean? And we could have mm-hmm. talked to whoever. So it was really neat to see when you guys were going through your past of scenarios, talking about finding the early season rubs mm-hmm. and then cutting to a video on that. That mm-hmm. was really, really cool and helpful. Yeah. I, I like that aspect of the podcast too. If you can like put a visual to it, like I find myself watching even um, stuff on YouTube, non-hunting related that it's just people sitting there talking. I'm like, why do I even like this? It's just people sitting there talking. But then if you can actually add like examples, you know, of what you're directly talking about it, it, it's cool. And, and then I think it gives some perspective as to a little bit more, I guess, insight to what we were thinking in that exact moment when we saw that exact thing and everyone, every situation is a little different. So it does a good job of kind of documenting that, I guess. Yeah, heck yeah, man. Well, let's start off right away with this weekend. Uh, so when this airs, we'll obviously be already past your your uh, antelope hunt and everything. So talk about what's going on for that, when where you're heading and all that jazz. Well, uh, I have like a general Montana pronghorn tag. I don't think it's anything fancy. I actually applied for it last year, didn't get it, and assumed I would. I had people, you know, like all my buddies that live in Montana are like, Oh yeah, you'll get it for sure. And neither Ted or I got it last year. So, um, I applied again this year, got it. And, um, yeah, I'm just like excited to, to be a tag holder for pronghorn again. I filmed Grant last year. We had a blast. Um, we had a little three video series from that week of hunting. And I mean, we just got whooped. We, we were hunting, we had a cool opportunity where I felt like we were hunting a lot of big bucks and they were pretty damn smart. And this time around, I don't really know what to expect. I mean, I've been in the general vicinity before, but I was hunting Turkey. So it wasn't the same habitat that we'll be in. And, um, I think, I guess for, for like preparation, a couple things that I've done differently this year than what I've done in past years is actually put a one pin slider on my, bow for the first time ever um and i was unsure about it for a lot of years um and i still am kind of unsure about it for every situation but it's pretty crazy how like just dead on it is like it doesn't really matter if i'm at 27 or if i'm at like 87 it just kind of works you know as long i mean as long as i'm not doing anything wrong on my end it's like as long as i have that pin on there when i pull the trigger and i'm smooth with my shot it's it's pretty crazy the only downside that i see to it is you got to have that range because you know if you're you know as you get further and further out anything past 40 it just keeps getting more and more dramatic but you know you start talking the difference between 51 and 57 yeah it's like you're probably you know you're probably going to have to see a much greater uh mistake if, if you don't have that exactly right, but kind of to help, um, 
prevent that problem a little bit. I got a cool new little deal this year that I had to do a little digging. These things aren't easily found online, but it was a, it's like a rangefinder holder that's that straps onto your backpack strap, but then it has a, a, a magnet on it. Okay. So you can just pop it right onto that holder. It has a hook too. Like if you're moving, you can hook it in there. So if you're moving fast, it's not going to fall off. I still have my rangefinder tied also to something completely separate just in case. But um, I like that idea just in general because I never have my rangefinder in an overly handy spot. But with this thing, I can like have my bow in my left hand range and have like very minimal movement yeah, and I'm right here by my D loop. So yeah, that's, that's clutch. Yeah. So that, and then also, I mean, something that is, is, is somewhat irrelevant to pronghorn or not, but the last couple of years have been, I guess since probably 2018, I've strictly shot with my quiver on. Um, I used to always take it off. A lot of people do that. Um, hunting out of a, a setup or a tree, but, um, the quivers that I had previously weren't super compact to the bow, but I got a two piece quiver now. And yep. it's just like, it just made that whole profile of the bow go down. And I'm loving that. I as know, silly as that sounds, but I know, I'm loving I, it. Yeah. I know when, when we met in Iowa over in last month in July, you were showing me that, did you get mm-hmm. everything the like moleskin up and cell stripped yeah. and all that jazz? So you feel comfortable with it now again? I, I, yeah. And it, so I had, what I had, is a like it's a plastic top for it and it was super loud but i just went and i put mole like the stealth strip moleskin all over the whole thing i spray painted um everything that's black on my bow which some folks would argue that it doesn't matter and i would agree that for the most part it doesn't matter but if it helps me you know one out of you know every you know 10 opportunities or hundred opportunities, even if it's just that. And I just think kind of looks cool because yeah, it it's does. different. You know, yeah. it's just like, who's this guy that just spray painted all the black off of his bow. So, yeah. Um, and then I did like, just, I think it's important like um, to kind of go through a bunch of different scenarios, like pick it, like hold your bow and just think like what could happen here. Like I tilt my bow upside down with an arrow on I drop the rest down and see what kind of noise that makes. I putting another arrow on, I noticed that I was actually putting, hitting my release on my string stopper bar. So I put a little stealth strip on that. And it's just, you know, overall, I feel like I'm really, really dialed going into this pronghorn hunt. And then just my, my, my like long range accuracy, I feel right. has improved as well. Well, I want to get into just one thing. We don't have to go down a massive rabbit hole with it. Just because, <laughs> well, I, well you, you know who you're talking yeah. to. Yeah. <laughs> so the thing about how you were saying the long range accuracy, I know mm-hmm. what arrows are you running then? Because using that single pin site, you're going out for antelope. You're mm-hmm. good. You, you, I mean, heck, everything you see usually online for antelope is that lighter because you want that faster setup. Are you running mm-hmm. a different arrow setup for, for this specific hunt? And then it's like, okay, I got to redial back in, or do you got your drop down and all that stuff? Well, I I went back and forth a lot this year trying to decide, like, you know, what 
what I wanted to shoot overall. And I went back and forth from, should I have two different setups? And I even thought about, should I get two different bows even? And, and then I got to thinking like, that's just too much work. And honestly, we got the new THP bow and I, and like, this is just like, just being completely honest. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to like it or not. Like, I don't know. And then I got it and I loved it. Like, like just no kidding. Like I like it way more than I thought and way more than the other bows that I've had been shooting previously. So it's like, well, I want to keep shooting one bow. I want to keep it pretty simple. And I want to have an arrow that is, you know, somewhat in between, but I still, I still want to have a good broadhead on it because like, I guess we, we, we constantly talk about different arrow setups and whatever. And, and I guess I feel like I personally have come to the conclusion where ultimately, like I certainly don't care what you shoot. I want you to shoot what makes you feel comfortable. Um, and every situation's different, right? Like if I was only ever hunting in, you know, the timber of Ohio and the timber of Colorado, you know, a heavy, super heavy arrow, like, 550 to 650 probably, you know, would be a decent choice. Um, especially then too, your shots are much more limited 40 and in probably. Um, but like, you know, I do like hunting pronghorn now and I do like hunting, um, like in the Dakotas and Nebraska. And it's just like, nothing's like so set in stone that I would never say never on anything necessarily. Now, I'm not going to be launching at a white tail, but like, you know, if there's a pronghorn that he's, you know, 60 yards and he's not paying any attention to me, that's a different story. So my exact setup right now is right at about 500 grains, which 125 grain single bevel broadhead still, um, which to me, I think really what your arrow is tipped with is probably just as important as, as, I do believe that a heavier arrow with a higher FOC is going to penetrate better, but you got to play your situation out to figure out what works best for you. And right now, I think somewhere between that 500 and 550 is probably best for me all around. Yeah. An arrow that I can take elk hunting and an arrow that I can take pronghorn hunting. And I do believe that with a good single bevel broad head that's sharp, probably going to get away with what you want. And the only thing that I ever want to get away with, it's a little bit maybe extra compared to um, what I don't think I would have got away with before I shot a single bevel was really close range on the ground with a white tail, slightly quarter two. I don't want to worry about, you know, being this far off and hitting straight on that bone. Right. I, I, I don't, I guess I don't know. And I think probably every situation is going to be a little bit different, but I think inside a certain range, basically inside of 15 yards, if you put it right on that spot, I'm not really that worried about right. it. So, well, that's like Dimitri this year, like your arrow setup, I think is going to be dynamite for you. Like even like the missed opportunity that, that you had last year of not recovering or whatever like that. I think this year, your overall setup is just going to be awesome. Even with that fixed blade head on it. What do you have, Dimitri? Uh, so I'm running a Eastern Access. Uh, uh, running about what 460? Yeah, like 460, 465 ish, depending on like that arrow. 
Um, but he, what, what's your draw? You're uh, uh, 29, 29, 70 pounds, 70, 70 yeah. pounds. So I don't, for, for whitetail and cause you're, you'll be here in PA and you're going to be going out in Ohio. Um, so it's, you know, mainly whitetail. So I just think mm-hmm. any, any position, his bow is just going to, you're going to hit hard with it. And then for like, even my setup, 70 pound, I have a 27 and a half inch draw. So I got the T-Rex syndrome going. <laughs> uh, my, my arrow setup is about like 472 ish. So kind of very similar to, to Dimitri and again, mainly white tail. So, uh, you know, I, I was running like a 515 for the last previous years and had no issues like at all with it. And, and it's not even that you had issues, Dimitri, with like your previous setup, but I just think that extra like 15 grains is going to, you know, for him, I it's just going to blow through no matter what kind of situation I think he could be in. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, I mean, again, I think that it can be perceived like, you know, we – like believe that you're wrong if you're not shooting like the heaviest arrow ever. I feel like I could, I feel like I went down a rabbit hole recently where I'm just like reading comments and there's just so like, it's got so blown out of proportion where it's just like, we're just trying to like have a conversation. And I think that, I mean, I'm not, I'm not sitting here saying either though, that I think that things are not true. Yeah. Like, I'll tell you right now, I think that if you're shooting a heavier air, I do firmly believe that. I mean, like, there's a guy that has dedicated an absurd amount of time to testing that, and that's the Dr. Ashby. Like, he's he's certainly spent a bunch of time studying it on actual animals. I believe that what he believes is probably true. Um, I just think that it's it's all relative, too, to, like, what your situation is. So, yeah. yeah, that's what I'm currently doing. Honestly... Honestly, at the end of the day, what I just want to see everybody do is just throw away their mechanical broadheads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear you. And that's what, like, we, we've had many discussions about it, he and I, about it. And uh, we're going to both run the, the REC FX4. So it's like a four blade. Uh, and it looks, uh, you've, you've tested it already. I haven't had a chance to, to test it. And you've liked it, right? Yeah, it flies pretty true to to fill point. Um, you know, the thing I like about it is we've talked about it on here before is is the sharpening aspect, right? You know, mm-hmm. we're we're not big sharpening guys. We've never really done it before, so we would really stink at it. Um, mm-hmm. the fact that if I shoot an animal, you know, I can just take that thing, twist that that head off, replace the blades and I'm good to go, you yeah. know. I yeah. mean, you know, it's it if you want to use it over and over, obviously it's not the broadhead for you. I mean, you could probably resharpen those blades oh, as long as they, you don't hit a rock or, you know, they're not chipped or anything. But, mm-hmm. uh, for the most part, you know, I just want that, that yeah. easy, you know, change, changeable broadhead that's, you know, pretty functional and still going to work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That- and I, I went from like using a three blade to a four blade slick trick. I had like thunderhead, um, to slick trick and never had any problems like at all. And then I went to, um, I shot a couple of bucks with a rocket meat seeker. We okay. were working at Midwest whitetail at the time. And like, you know, at that time, honestly, just because like everybody else was doing it, it was just like, well, there's just certainly no reason to like be that concerned about this at this point. All, even though my dad had always like 
forced me to shoot a, a fixed blade broadhead. And all of a sudden I've got, um, you know, two bucks that I've hit that I, I, I got them, but it wasn't as efficient as I had been having previously. And right. then I went back and it was just like, I'm right back to zipping through bucks with just a six with a slick trick. Now I went to back to, or went now to a single bevel, which I feel like is like a step above that. Um, but, um, you know, there's, there's pros and cons to that. I mean, honestly, price is one major con. Like single bevels are just damn expensive where I was like in Dunham's yesterday, just like, I just walked down the broadhead aisle and it's like, there's so many cheaper options, but to me, just having that fixed blade broadhead, making sure it's sharp, like, and, and, and that's ultimately number one, like no matter what broadhead you do choose, just make sure it's sharp. sharp. Yep. Like, yeah. Yeah. You're going to be in better shape than if it's dull. Yeah. No doubt so. about that. I like that. One of the things that Dimitri and I want to talk to you about is because, you know, for us, we have, you know, full-time jobs. Dimitri's a physical therapist. I'm a teacher. So obviously in the summertime, I have more, more free time. However, you know, that's, that's a tough time to get out there and scout. You know, you got all kinds of it's greenery. It's, it's, you know, the ticks, it's all other things that's going on and, and seeing the signs not as screaming at you as mm-hmm. postseason is, man, you and I, I loved hearing what you had to say a couple weeks ago. And, <laughs> you know, and, I, and we were talking and we're like, you know, what are you doing now? And you're like, man, I'm looking at elk right now. I'm glassing elk. I'm not even in the whitetail woods. I'm not in the whitetail mindset. And it talk just, I mean, go, just mention about kind of like where your philosophy has been and where, where it's leading you to currently with that scouting aspect of things when it comes to whitetail. Yeah. I mean, it, it's really just been a pretty long term evolution of it. And it's not to say that I don't like scouting for whitetails. It's just, um, the objective has changed a little bit from what it once was, I think. So, Let's just go back to like 2015 and 2016. At that time frame, Aaron and Greg and I were working at Midwest Whitetail, and Aaron and I like every night, like because we'd work in the office till like five or six, and you know in the summer you got still a handful of hours to you can still get out and scout, and like every night we were going out and scouting, and I think that that was super beneficial. Um, I we learned a ton doing that. Our objective, um, though, changed even from 15 to 16. And, like, in 15, we were just going and, like, still looking for sign, looking for setups, and we were picking these very specific spots. 2016, though, we started learning more about, like, deer bedding. We learned of the term buck bedding from guys like Greg Litzinger and um, Dan Infault were the two people that, like, kind of got our got – our, mind going on the buck bedding thing. So in 2016 summer, we just spent an insane amount of time just looking for beds, just getting reps, looking for beds. And because of that, and and because of like where we were able to do it, like Iowa has, it doesn't necessarily have the same hills that like, um, you know, the Eastern Appalachian region does, but um, it definitely has the same types of like shapes of ridges, I guess. So we were looking at ridges, we were looking at wetlands, we were looking at um, like CRP, 
just all these different clear cuts, whatever. We're looking at all these different habitat types. We're just getting reps finding beds. And that really helped us become better at like knowing how deer bed and where they have tendencies to bed in a variety of situations. And once we did that, it started to just continue like, and then also keep in mind too, we spend a bunch of time turkey hunting. So when we're turkey hunting, we're not necessarily scouting areas that we're going to go back and hunt, but you're always like, yeah, hmm, look at that rub or look at that bed or that's oh, pretty cool that there's a scrape line. You look at your map and have a quick moment where you snap out of the turkey woods, think about what you could learn from this, where you could apply it in, you know, a real hunting situation in the future. And I think that that's one thing that's important to keep in mind that is happening to this day. But about, I don't know, probably 2017, that year, it started like the summer scouting started dropping off and we were still spending more time in the winter scouting. But like, as time has gone on, I feel like more and more, it's just, I'm not super interested in specifics at all. Like I really don't care about anything that's real, real specific. And, and I think you may like, you definitely are like in some situations are hurting yourself. If you are looking into too much of a specific, it's important to go see how deer are using an area and get eyes on a spot. But like, if you're trying to find a tree or, or like a little spot on the ground that you're going to tuck into and set up and you're like dead set that that's where you're going. And then opening day comes around and you go to, you know, your list of spots, then in my opinion, you just go in there and you get set up and you don't, you know, that's, that's, that's the extent of it. To me, you're just limiting yourself. Um, and, and you could be wasting time in a spot that's not hot right now. So go back to those years of like 2015, 2016, we were finding all these really specific things in the off season. And I, I just like, I'll never forget those feelings that I'd have where I'd be yep. like, dude, there's no way this spot's not just going to be kick ass. Once I go in there on late October day, whatever, or mid November day, whatever. And then I'd go in there and wouldn't see anything. And like, this is the spot that I've been thinking about for like five months or whatever. I'd maybe found it in February and now I've been thinking about it all summer. I'm like, it's just so many times that would happen. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're like so attached to it. And then you get in there and it's like, well, this wasn't even worth all that time I spent thinking about it in the off season. So then I guess I started listening to some other folks and um, I, a great example of a influence is I was listening to um, – the guys at Whitetail Adrenaline, Jared Scheffler specifically, I remember listening to podcasts with him and him talking about like not worrying about scouting an area, just going in blind. And I had started to adopt, as this is happening, I'm also like starting to adopt that new style of not just mobile hunting, but like, like mobile hunting. (laughs) We're like really moving around and the things that he was talking about really made sense. It's like, you know, sign can, can tell you some things, but like also like depending on the time of the year, but like, it's like fresh sign is really important. And then like at a certain point in the rut, it's just like, 
you just gotta be where the action is. And like sometimes sign or not like that. I mean, I, I guess, I guess like going to an area to me that is less than like the best is just kind of a waste of time. Now, not to say that you can't get one in those spots and actually in this podcast that I had just edited, that is the project that I went over there's a couple things that there's a couple like really key lines in there. It's like for one, and this kind of ties into all the scouting things. Like one was what Warb said. He said, it's, you're not just using sign to set up on you're using sign to help you confirm that idea that you already had. So if you think the deer might be bedding out there and feeding over here, and there's sign in between that, that sign is helping you confirm the story of what the deer's daily life is looking like at that time of the year. And if that sign is fresh, that's telling you, hey, we're good to go yeah. right now. This is worth staying here. On the other hand, we were talking about um, the rut and how it's like, you know, I guess typically speaking, most whitetail bow hunters during the rut like to find a spot get into it and just be patient and like we've realized that pretty much all of us do the exact opposite of that it's just like move 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 like move more like be moving more like to the point where it's like unless you're actually getting visuals it doesn't matter if you're even in the timber. Like we're talking, we want to be seeing some action. And if we're not, we're continuing to move because the rut is so hit or miss that I'd rather be moving around, not finding it than sitting there and just like hoping that it's coming to me. So I guess all that being said, it's like now this, when I think of scouting, I think of learning trends or learning the lay of the land, learning deer trends, like where they bed, where they feed, where they, um, de definitely where they bed based off the terrain and the habitat, I think is like probably the number one thing. And then past that, it's like food sources are changing sometimes daily. You know, they may go to a one Oak tree that's dropping acorns in October, clean those up and then go to another one that's, you know, several hundred yards away. So I just think, um, to me, yeah, that, that's kind of more what scouting looks like for me these days. And while that's done, you know, on maybe a weekend during the winter, maybe a couple days during the summer, and well, mostly just during turkey season when I take that extra minute to, like, you know, try to learn a lesson from what I'm seeing on the ground. So, um, yeah, I can continue to elaborate or – yeah. Well, <laughs> well, and I, I think that's what a lot of people make a mistake in the early season, right? You know, you mm -hmm. see that a lot where, you know, I even think about it myself. We've all done this several times where, you know, you get your trail cameras out there in the summertime and, you know, you're maybe you've scouted that area in March or April and, and you know exactly where the bedding is and you, you have a pretty good idea especially like where we hunt in the big woods you know we don't have the ag fields or you know so you have a general idea of where that 
um, food sources are coming from. So you have an idea still where that transition line is taking place. Uh, so you get your camera in there, you get your inventory, you're seeing these nice bucks, you get all excited for the season. Um, you know, you kind of like exactly what you said, Zach, you kind of pick out a tree like, Oh man, this is going to be good. And you get excited and maybe they're still in velvet. You go pull that last September trail camera, uh, inventory and they're still in there. Um, and then what do most people do is they back out for a month until the season comes, right? That's what everyone mm -hmm. tells you to do. Don't go in there. Mm -hmm. Um, but then, you know, they go hard horn, their patterns change, they move, um, you know, and then maybe they're still in that area, but they're, you know, maybe Over they're the next ridge. Yes. Or, or maybe right. they're just moving in a different, uh, you know, transition to that food source, just taking a different route. You know, I mm -hmm. found that with like a buck we were hunting is he was just taking a different, he was there. I knew exactly where he's bedding. I knew exactly where he wanted to go, but I could never get where his direct route was once the season started. And I kind of started piecing it together. It took me a couple of years um, of just doing that scouting during the season to figure out where mm -hmm. his, that change of route took place. Um, but then you go in there in the first couple of weeks and that's exactly what a lot of people do. They, well, October law, right. You know, from some yeah. people say from the beginning of the season until the rut starts that there's no deer. Well, he's just, they're just taking a different route than what you've been scouting. And then you kind of, stuck there not seeing yeah. anything for a whole month yeah yeah and I, I mean i think in some situations it can be easier to find them early season you know depending on what time of the year your season starts but like you know the one the one issue that you'll run into no matter where you go is like if you're reading rub sign for example it's like the more time that goes on in october like the more rubs just start popping up and have been there potentially from September 1st, give or take a couple of days until present day. And it might be October 24th. You're talking two months dang near of rubs that you're now trying to decide like, is he here now? And it like, yeah. I'm not saying you can't still tell like a smoking hot rub that time of the year, but it becomes a little bit more challenging. And you know, the less, like sign that there is earlier in the season when you find that stuff that pops up really fresh, especially like on a food source, like, um, acorns or something like, you know, I'm, I'm, I am trying to visualize like your guys' situation in Pennsylvania. It's like when you hit that patch of oak trees, it's dropping acorns and there's buck sign coming to it, you know, from the potential bedding area. You're like, okay, like, okay, they're here today. Yeah. You know, they're not here last week. They're not here, you know, at the very beginning of them, shedding their velvet they're they're here now and one challenge that i have i actually feel like i have been having a hard a really hard time in november because because of that it's like i hit these times where i'm just like okay there's sign but it's like i mean he's probably just gone now you know it's like i'm behind him like i want to i want to see him i want to have him here right now i want to hear him crashing up the ridge chasing a doe or something that's like saying okay he's actually there right now and I feel like you have a better chance of finding that sign that's telling you he's here right now and earlier in the season. But then as it gets later and later, there's just more stuff, more stuff to read. Um, so, you know, it just depends on the situation, of course. But Yeah, I feel like for me personally, that's the one thing that I want to get better at is reading that, like that food. Okay, this is dr happening right now instead mm -hmm. of, because I do, I feel like I was that in like what we've been talking about. Like, oh, I'm going to that sign. This is that tree. This is when I think I mm -hmm. could potentially catch 
get lucky. Uh, and I don't know. I think like the more we've been talking and I've, I feel as confident as ever as I've, uh, as a hunter sitting here today on, you know, uh, August 18th and I, than I've ever felt. And mm -hmm. I feel like the light bulbs finally going off and things are finally clicking a little bit. And, uh, I'm, you know, I'm just as eager as I am uh, every year, but I just feel like, you know, just the success that Dimitri's had and we've had collectively just together. And I don't know, I'm really excited to get in the woods this year because we found new areas that like, again, like you were saying, we've been talking about that we could learn from and see, okay, Hey, this is when it's going to be hot. And if it's not, don't, don't be married to it. We know we could just yeah. continue to go. Well, and I think also thinking of different hunting, like different hunting situations and different perspectives. So my perspective, I feel like it's really easy. <sighs> hmm. I don't want this to come out in a way where like, it's, it's easier for me to say, okay, if I don't find what I want to and I never like stop and I never set up or I never like, you know, I, I basically still hunt all day and I never stop moving. I'm not out anything because there was never anything there in the first place that made me feel convinced that I was going to get one. And like, you know, sometimes just as much as like the plan coming together sometimes there's a major mistake like bumping a buck before you even have the plan in the first place. So like to me, I feel like I've got, I've just cut ties with an expectation and I feel like it is easy. And I will say it was easy for me to get to that point, maybe more than somebody who can only hunt like weekends in October and then, you know, maybe a week or two or, or even three in November, but like, you know, if, if I can just keep going day in and day out in October, it's easy for me to say, eh, you know, there's no point in me, you know, stopping here because honestly, if I stop here, I'm probably not going to see anything anyway. So I'll just keep moving and maybe I'll learn something. Maybe I'll spook something. And then as, as much as like, that's the worst thing ever, it's actually worked in a way of us killing bucks a lot. Yeah. So I think, it's almost like you have to try to try really hard to cut ties with an expectation of like, I'm gonna like, I, man, I hope something comes by or like, you want to set up in my opinion to where you're like, I know something's coming by yep. and you know, this spot is good enough. And you know, you really aren't out anything if you never put that stand up or you never like plop your butt on a log and say like, I hope he's coming right down this trail. You're not out anything. Like if you learn how to still hunt, you're always hunting. Even when you're scouting, right? You have these spots. You're going to go check out if they're hot, then you pump the brakes. If they're not, then you keep the, you know, you keep the hammer down and keep trying <laughs> to find more stuff. Cause like, again, you never know. And, you're like, ah, should I stop here? It doesn't really look that good. But then you make that decision to go a little bit further and boom, there's all the sign. You're like, oh, well, here they are. I'm glad I kept going. Or, you know, or you spot one up and moving on his feet and you're on your feet and now you got a stock on your hands, which is the ideal situation if you ask me. Yeah. Well, and then I think a lot of people that especially followed the hunting public, you know, 
you know, the last couple of years, you know, really got the idea of picking up on that fresh shine. And that's, you know, I, I know I did. And that's really where I learned a lot of that, you know, trying to find that fresh sign, the hot sign, where that deer is transitioning to, um, you know, but I think you guys really nailed it in the first part of the video uh, of saying, when is the sign enough to set up on, right? You yeah. know, because, you know, we, we you always had the question, well, you know, you're out in the woods, you're like, well, there's a couple rubs there, you know, is those nighttime rubs is, you know, maybe that's when he was coming back in the morning, you know, there's mm-hmm. one, one little scrape and one little rub, you know, is that enough to should I be setting up here or should I be diving in? You know, cause you just never know. And sometimes you find, you know, eight to 10 rubs and you're like, wow, yeah. this is really good sign. Mm-hmm. And then you're, mm-hmm. it's a cold front and everything's the wind's perfect. And you set up and it's like nothing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know? And mm-hmm. you know, so that's a big thing too. And I think a, a lot of people ask that question is when is it enough sign to, to really feel confident that he's going to be transitioning through there. I remember like four years ago when, Dimitri and I really started hunting together here in Pennsylvania. We went down to a, a spot where he's very familiar with. And I actually it came up on like a memory on my phone, just a, like a random date. And <laughs> do you remember that one photo when we walked down on that trail and we look right <clears throat> water hole in a mm-hmm. sense. And there was that one rub line where there was legit eight to nine rubs. He said, and like both of us were okay. The wind's good here. I'll go here. He went here and it was like, again, like nothing. What, <laughs> what's going on? I mean, again, this yeah. was many years ago, but that is like, you learn like, okay, I need to go find that hot sign. You found it now. Like how Dimitri just said, when that comes the, okay, this is good enough for me to set up. And you know what I mean? I, I feel like what you guys had have done in this last episode really kind of confirmed a lot for me and for other people where it's okay. Like how, how you said Ward was you, what you were visualizing and what you were kind of impl- thinking was happening is confirmed. And then that's and when that, go. And that's where that baseline of scouting does come back into play. Right. So like, in my opinion, if you're, if you see that sign and you're trying to build that story, it certainly helps if you know the tendencies, like I know they like to bet on that type of terrain out there and that's over it there, which is upwind. I'm downwind of that spot, and I also know that the food source is either right here or over there past me to where, like, I'm on that travel. But if you don't have an understanding of how they bed in a variety of different situations, and then you can take it, too. Like, you can take that so much more specifically, right? Like, conditions can play into where they are, like, into the very, very specifics, and also, like, when you're talking about fresh sign, you can take that down to like some really, really high detail stuff. Like if you're seeing like tracks that you're like, are these tracks from today? Or are they from three days ago? You know, so, cause in some situations that is going to make a difference. Now, if you look at a spot that like what everybody wants to see and what you do find probably like once or twice in a season is you find that spot where like you find a trail and there's the buck sign, there's some old stuff, there's some like brand new stuff. There's tracks on it that are buck tracks going both ways. And some of them are from three days ago, but that one might be from this morning. When you hit that, then then like, it's really the no brainer. But, you know, another thing that I think is important to factor in is when you ask yourself that question of how much sign is enough, I think you should also like have 
you should be careful when comparing it to other people's expectation because a great example of this is when I've been hunting Ohio, Mm -hmm. there's different parts of like different pieces of public land where I have a different expectation of what a lot of sign is. There's different, there's, there's parcels of public land where if I'm not seeing just like, I'm talking tons of rubs, tons of shredded scrapes, not interested, but there's parts of that state where if I find like a rub that's been laid down in the last month, I'm like, okay, we're talking about something here where like it really does vary that much just based off of like County, you know, from one, one section to the next, your expectation, I think, um, of what a lot of sign, because a buck that I killed with my friend, Ben, um, that the amount of sign that was there was like truly bare minimum compared to what I would ever look for when back when I hunted Iowa or when I'm filming my friends in Iowa or if I was in Wisconsin, or if I was in Minnesota, or whatever, or honestly, even Pennsylvania. Like, the sign that we saw that day where we killed that buck in Ohio, which is so much better, right? (laughs) (laughs) You also know my thoughts on that. But um, where we hunt, where I shot a buck in Pennsylvania, there was way more buck sign in that set in that particular piece of public land than what we saw that day where we killed that buck. But it was a matter of breaking that down, being honest with ourselves, saying, Hey, like how many deer realistically are even coming through this spot is a couple rub, you know, is a handful of rubs en- enough. And this fresh feeding sign is definitely enough. So again, every situation it's going to be different. And I think like how much sign you're expecting is just going to vary based off your deer density too. That's dynamite. Yeah. Cause I even remember the example I think of even is off of your video. I think it was two years ago on opening day of Iowa when, when Ted shot his buck, but yeah. thinking about uh, Aaron uh, you know, when he went into his spot, I remember, and I don't remember exactly, but he was not far from the parking area and he found just a couple small scrapes and right (laughs) on the trail. And he, you know, um, did what most people would do is be like, Oh, this is way too close to the truck. He bypassed it, went a little further in. And then I remember he got pretty deep in there and the sign, there was nothing, you know, no fresh sign, no hot sign. I think he saw a couple, if I remember correctly, a couple bedded does and he didn't want to push any deeper. And I think there was actually another hunter, if I could remember correctly, even back in there that he knew of. Um, But what he did is he said, you know, he didn't find the sign. So what did he do? He said, this is the only really sign that I saw. So why not am I, why am I passing sign to find Mm -hmm. more when there's nothing in that, that sort of a distance? And he came back and he was close to the the parking area. And I think he saw a hand, several does. um, And then he saw a couple of nice bucks there towards the last light, you know, and had a a fantastic uh, evening Mm -hmm. hunt, which probably 99% of the people would have just walked right by that sign. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, all this being said, like, I think it's important to note too, like for people that watch, you know, hunting videos, ours, especially, you got to remember there's tons of days that 
were so wrong. Like, <laughs> you know, there's so many days that like somebody's out in the field hunting that we don't make a video out of it just because we are wrong. So like, it's a constant learning curve. And like, I think you have to just continue to try to improve that decision-making ability. And like, the thing is, is like, it is hard to stop early, right? When you feel like, you know, all signs are telling you, your gut's telling you, I want to go back there further. Like it's hard to stop short. But with that being said, I've hunted some like really, really stupid, easy to get to spots where I've seen big bucks and like in a variety of States, you know? So it's like, not just, you know, not just Iowa, right? Like it doesn't matter where it is. It's like, if nobody's there, like they might be right there. And I think again, well, I really, I do really like what Warp said in this one that I just edited is that that idea of that sign isn't just helping you give, give you a place to set up exactly. It's also a piece of the puzzle of the overall story that you hopefully have in your head or you can build in your head based off of prior scouting knowledge of how deer bed, how deer feed. And then you're, you're just kind of visualizing his daily routine, his daily pattern. And if you feel confident in that idea that you have, then stop. But if you don't, then keep going. So like there's plenty of examples. There's actually a really good example where, um, and if you said you listened to the audio of the first one, I think we rambled on about the time that we were, and I didn't have much time and we were going to go back and we were going to class and we ran in there and we were grunting and we came around the corner and we bumped butt. Well, fast forward a couple of years in the future and Ted and his dad shoot a huge buck right in that exact spot in that exact opening where we bumped that buck. And then Last year, the buck that I filmed Jake shoot was also right there. The problem when Aaron and I went in there that time, just guns ablaze and just, you know, just trying to get back there to class was we had not built that story in our head yet. We had not confirmed with betting tendencies that they were going to utilize these two different areas. Now we know that there's two different betting areas there. There's not just one, there's two. And up to that point, we just didn't believe that to be true. We had seen bucks bed way further back in there, but we had never seen them that close to the access. But prior to this, I mean, that's a spot that we've been, we've been spending time in. I mean, all of us, even my, like my dad too hunted in there when he drew an Iowa tag. We've all been in there. We all have all this long list of experiences. And generally speaking, the back of that piece is really, you know, the furthest from the road is is the best. But they clearly sometimes use that stuff up, up closer too. And that probably all just depends on different food sources and different conditions and hunting pressure, right? So, you know, once you have that story in your head and you can visualize, you know, what they – might be doing in that area it's really going to help and just going to help you have confidence to stay there and not worry like because because it also isn't i don't i also don't think it's good to set up in a spot that you don't feel confident in, even if the sign's there because then you're going to be looking at your phone looking at the wind for the next day oh what am i going to do tomorrow and then all of a sudden you're like oh there he is he's right here yep, yep. <laughs> you know, so i i, I keep when you're just talking i'm thinking of your neighbor just 
that smoke that pulled an inner Zach on the ground and shot him. What would what, he say? Like 11 yards or something. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. I just think, cause he was how far away from uh, that parking lot? No, I mean, he was probably hundred yards less maybe. Yeah. It's just, and it, that was a, a buck buck. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, he's a doozy. Like he, he yeah. was King Tut probably around this area. So was he, was, do you think he was just like watching the, the access or like monitoring that in a way that, or do you think he was just there for other situation or other circumstances? You mean the deer or the guy? The deer. Uh, you know, I think that was just like, it was the beginning. Oh, it was probably, you it was know, early right October. In, uh, no, I think no? it was in November. Was it, it was in the beat. So it was probably somewhere between the sixth and the 10th. Um, so it was kind of that cruising rut phase. Uh, it was extremely hot those couple days that year. I yeah, mean, it was two the, years probably ago. Probably in the seventies. I mean, um, and was that, a, was that, yeah. November of 2020. Yeah. yeah brutal dude yeah. first 10 days i was in ohio that was like probably some of my least favorite weather conditions like consistent weather conditions that i've ever hunted i hated that dude yeah. it was not fun no yeah and it, it's just a huge clear cut which is really close to the road and i just mm-hmm. think that he was in there and it was just the day he was cruising through and that guy just happened to pick Pick the right tree at the right time. Yeah, but well, did he? Wasn't he on the ground? Yep, he yeah. just plopped, you know, kind of turkey style against the tree with his crossbow, and here's this huge bush. point blank. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I, the, the the one thing though too that I think happens, like especially, like honestly, especially in heavily pressured areas, is, and you'll hear you'll hear it talked about in you know various locations, I guess, but like bucks setting themselves up to monitor that pressure like where they're literally just laying there watching that spot and it looks different in every situation but like i mean i've seen it in places for sure like where like they're just right there up above the road where maybe most people drive past but as soon as somebody stops boom they're up and gone and you don't even know it because you're getting out of your vehicle or whatever and i think you know if they have all those things that they need there and they can stay just, you know, just tucked into the shadows to where you can't quite see them, you know, you'd be, you'd be amazed. Like one spot that always comes to mind was, um, the public land challenge was in Minnesota, um, a couple of years ago and I was filming Jake and I don't even really know. Like it's kind of one of those deals where hindsight, you're, you're kind of just like, I'm not even really sure what, the hell we were doing that day like i'm not sure our objective but we were like coming up some this is honestly so weird <laughs> what we were doing i'm glad we did it because i learned a lot from this but we were kind of like doing this weird side hill thing and we had just kind of got to a point where it was like well we can see too much and we started getting careless and we started moving too fast and we like pushed through some brush and we popped out and a bunch of deer in this like just straight magnum ran out of there it's just beautiful like 10 point buck that just was way bigger than all the other deer like not not like i mean he wasn't you know a booner by any means but he was a mature buck yeah and just one that you want every time you go out and i actually the only time i've ever done this i double punched the record button and I had like sweet footage of him running down the hill and down and away from us. And I double punched the record <laughs> button and I was sick, man. I really had a hard time. Luckily, nobody gave me too hard of a time because had they, I would have been really bummed about it. Yeah. I mean, I was, I always was, 
but I was harder on myself than anybody else was. But anyway, it was funny because once that happened, we were like, dude, why are all these deer here? There's all these deer here. I bet we jumped like seven deer from that spot and a handful of them were bucks. And one's this big buck. And there were, they were just up and above the main access trail from the main pull off in that spot where people were just walking right past them. And you wouldn't, I mean, you wouldn't see them up there. Right. The only way that they probably would ever get up is if you did something weird like what we did where we, you weren't on the trail. I honestly believe that you could have walked a hundred yards past those deer and all they would have done is laid there. And you know, if it would have got dark, I bet you they would have either just gone the other way or just held tight, you know, if they saw you get up. And I'm sure that happens all the time. You You know, I'm sure that happens all the time. Two years ago on the chocolate, the dark, like the real dark one up on the trail. Yeah. He wasn't too far off. No. Yeah. And I, you know, and that's where he was kind of bedded at. Um, There was a clear, real thin clear cut uh, right along the road. Um, that went up over the hill and then we were kind of hunting the backside, you know, the top ridge beyond that point. Um, but he was living right on the, the top corner of that clear cut where, you know, he, he had visual and people were walking by him all the time. And then he would just kind of scoot out along the edge of that right down to the field. Yeah. I, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. Like, uh, how much they can take advantage of a human pattern. And I think like generally speaking, I mean, it's like so cliche. Like I remember when I was a kid reading this article in a magazine, like are the deer patterning you? Like I'll never forget that (laughs) article. And since then, you know, I've seen it in various places and, you know, in different ways, but, but you know, the same stories out there a bunch, but like, I think more than we ever could even dream, like to the point where like, I actually think that's where my style of like not having setups or like not really wanting to go to a specific specific spot really helps. Cause like, how would they ever, how would a deer ever pattern my ass? Like I'm all over the place, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm doing weird stuff all the time to the point where like, if I do bump them, I don't ever really get that concerned that they're going that far. Cause it's not like, it's, it's not like they, they were, were expecting like, danger. Yeah. Yeah. Danger at that spot. It's like, what was that thing just like going through the woods, you know? So I think that's helpful. And I guess I did want to mention this one. This is a really weird one. And I, I didn't see it with my own eyes, but my, my friend Ben, who you maybe have seen in yep. videos, um, he was hunting in, an area public land and I hate this, but, um, the locals, they just ride, go ahead and ride their four wheelers wherever they want, which I mean, it's not my deal. I really, really, really rubs me the wrong way. Yep. But anyway, these guys had ridden a four wheeler in and he was, Ben was walking back to his vehicle and he bumped a buck that was literally bedded right beside this dude's four-wheeler that he had brought in that day. So the buck heard the four-wheeler, went to it, and waited until the guy like was just playing straight defense. Like that buck wasn't playing <laughs> offense. He was straight playing like, hey, I'm going to sit here, and I know I'm going to get away with it when he comes back because he's not going to get me when he comes back. Wow. 
that's something. Yeah. And he said, and it was a big one. Like it was a, it was a no doubt shooter. Like he, he made a big deal of it. Yeah. And that's one where like the buck straight up was only there to confirm that he was safe because the guy's going to spook him off that spot. Well, it ended up being Ben, but (laughs) yeah, but still it's like, that's pretty weird. That's a weird one. Yeah. That's one that makes you like really think like, okay, so that buck heard that four wheeler come in and then went to it. That's something. Yep. Just worked his way around from, he'd probably literally bypassed the the hunter. You know what I mean? I'm sure. Or if unless the hunter went the opposite way in a sense, but Mm -hmm. just was went to it. Well, I think about like how you're saying, Ben, like Dimitri's going to hunt Ohio this year. This is your first time going out that way. And, you know, I know you had your, your, you know, your, you've had success. You've, you've had struggles out there in Ohio. You grew up there mm-hmm. type of ordeal. You know, what, uh, how has, what, what's your game plan for this year? Cause you've gone back almost every year to last two, three years, right? Yeah. I mean, I'll go back. I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm probably a little too attached to just Ohio in general, just because it's home and my friends are there. That's the biggest thing. You know, honestly, if I could get, if I could get Ben to move to a different state, then I probably wouldn't go back there as much, but <laughs> it's, it's one really good excuse to go hunt with him and him not have to do that much. He comes out to hunt. That's another thing. He comes out every year to hunt elf um, out here. So, which we're going on year four of that. And I don't think that's stopping anytime soon. So he yeah. does come hunt with me other places, but you know, um, going back and hunting with him is it's easy to do that to go back to, or it's, it's easy to go back to Ohio because I get to do that. Um, and then I don't know, man, like I've, I've been back and forth all over the place. Like it took me a little bit of time to kind of finalize just even what's coming up here next. Like, um, as far as like an overall plan, we're doing, um, Montana and then I'm going to go to North Dakota and film Jake in North Dakota. And then, um, after that, I'm coming back here and I'm just going to elk hunt like pretty much the rest of September. I'm only deer hunting because that's, uh, that's just kind of what, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just trying to make people happy. I think <laughs> but I'm only filming a deer hunt that early because of that. I'd rather honestly just spend uh, September hunting elk or just archery hunting in Colorado in general, whether that be mule deer or elk, but doing that. And then I think I'm going to, at some point, I think I'm going to get an Oklahoma tag. If North Dakota is really, really sweet, we may go back there as well. I don't know Um, how you top your hunt from two years ago. I actually just rewatched that the other day. I was just like, I'm in the mood for that hunt. And well, well, I mean, honestly, Jake's from three years years ago ago was insane. Yeah. That that, one. Yeah. Well, that buck was bedded in that. What was it? The CRP or whatever it was, or uh, canola, uh, canola Canola field. Yeah. That's nuts. But, um, yeah, I mean, we're going to try to, we're going to try to do a little bit of that spot and stock stuff. Um, maybe a little bit more of it, I suppose, like earlier, but then, you know, one, the, the beauty of Ohio and I guess for like the specifics of that is like, I call it the back pocket. Like I've always got the tag and cause I've always buy a turkey license too. Like I always turkey hunt there or I don't necessarily hunt there, but you know, I'm always there and I always got a tag in my pocket. And when you do that, then you always have the deer there. You've got half of it bought. So like you might as well get the deer tag. It's always in the back pocket because it runs later. So, you know, for me, 
it's just something no matter what the schedule kind of plays out with I can always do that at any given point like last year I actually didn't have any intention to go back there and bow hunt but then it was like that's where it made sense to because everything else turns to rifle season mid-November and I hadn't really bow hunted all that much last year so you know I'll be back back and forth and then um I do have like just this long list of places like I'd love to get to Minnesota, Wisconsin, Illinois. It's just a matter of how things kind of go. And then I definitely like have more and more interest in places like Pennsylvania, New York. Um, I'd love to go tracking up in the Northeast in general. So yeah, I, at some point I want to hunt Virginia. <laughs> I mean, honestly, dude, there's too many places I do. I also have a Mississippi tag. So that's also in the back pocket at all times. So, now, now, one thing I, I definitely wanted to bring up tonight is, you know, because getting into the season, the season starting, you know, m- emotions are always running high, the anticipation, you know, everyone's getting excited, <laughs> you know, but the thing that I love watching you on your videos is no matter what happens and, and when things go bad, you always still have a smile on your face, which, which I don't know how you do it just because, you know, all of us, you, we put so much effort, you know, we take time away from our families and, you know, um, you know, you get that one moment and, and things just don't go right, whether you miss or, um, you, you spook a deer and it's like, you know, maybe that's your last chance being out for the year. And, you know, I've watched several videos where, you know, you miss a deer or spook a deer and you just turn around and you start laughing and you just say, that was cool. That was, that was, awesome. you know, how do you have that mentality of going through the season? Cause I think a lot of us need to have that right because you yeah. know you you get so many only a handful of weeks throughout the year to hunt and i'm starting yeah. to realize that as i get older is it's like it goes so fast and then oh, yeah. it's the next season and you just gotta enjoy it and have fun and it it, it is it's really hard to do that sometimes yeah. but i mean you just have the, the the best mentality that i've ever seen like when that buck comes up on that saddle on you zach and, and you don't have your your you're like shit <laughs> and then, you know, like, in, in ohio last yep. year you mean yep. yeah yeah that yeah, and I missed one in South Dakota, and, like, I turn to the camera, and I'm, like, immediately just, like, smiling and high-fiving <laughs> Keith, and I missed the damn thing. Yeah. I, why that happens. I Honestly, why, it's, like, I would say it's just, I mean, for for one, like, I, I can never even begin to explain how excited I am to just have the opportunity to go another day. So at the end of the day, it's, like, Hey, I'm doing what I love. There's no more like at peace with the world that I could ever be than when I'm out there hunting. So, you know, that in itself is an easy way to stay, stay positive. And then like, you know, every mistake is just an experience that makes it better the next time. So, you know, from those failures, you actually are gaining, in my opinion, you're becoming much better in the long run if you have more failures. So like, if something really cool happens, there's two things that like one that this doesn't mean that anything for everybody, but it's like, dude, we probably just got some pretty sick footage that we're going to be able to watch for forever. And we're going to make a video out of it. And two, like, yeah, you're just building an experience. Like you just add another experience to the list and good or bad, you know, it's, yeah, it's just part of that growth, you know, as a hunter. And like, to me, to me, what, I view, you know, 
when I think of like somebody who's really, really good at hunting, they, it's not anything about how many big bucks they've shot or how many bucks they've shot doing this or how many bucks they've shot here or, you know, they hunt in Iowa versus, you know, Pennsylvania or Michigan. It's like, it's not, it's not about that. It's about like what you are willing to learn and like what, you know, how many experiences you have and ultimately like, you know, that, that to me is bigger than just doing, you know, one thing or consistently like shooting a buck in one spot or whatever. It's just like, it's the way I like elk hunting, right? Yeah. It's like, I don't want to just be a whitetail hunter, you know, like, I don't know if like everybody knows that about me. Like, I don't, I don't want to just like people think of THP and just be like, Oh yeah, this guy's just deer. Like, no, like I want to be, I want to like have a long list of experiences and that's why I like turkey hunting. Like that's why I like, um, you know, really any form of hunting, you can learn from that. And it just is going to make you better in the long run, man. I'm like, those mistakes as much as they burn sometimes. And don't get me wrong too. There's plenty of times where the times that I struggle the most and probably am like the lowest is when I'm not getting those experiences when it's just day in day out of just nothing, getting nothing, nothing. That's that, that is a time where I would say, you know, I, I would, I will, I get, I don't want to say I get down. It's just that I get like fired up. I get more motivated. I get frustrated and I have more of like an edge to it yeah. where it's like, I guess the, that's where like the competitive comes out where it's not competitive against anybody except for me and that, that big buff man. Like it, I'd seriously, I lose myself in hunting season. Well, like that, I forget that the world exists. <laughs> yeah, well, I love the fact that I, I, I don't mean to kind of sound like a homer or, or continue to bring up things, but you guys just dropped that, that video like two weeks ago, whatever, where you, Jake and Ted talked about the, the struggles last year where you mm-hmm. guys had in that mentality, because I mean, you guys are doing it from August until January, even in mm-hmm. February at times. And then, you know, you have a month or two off and you're getting after it for Turkey season, like where Dimitri and I, you know, he's going to Ohio, obviously, but it's only going to be for, for what, five, five days in a sense. And I've, I'm planning on Pennsylvania at the moment and possibly Kentucky with some tether guys, like sometime, hopefully. And, you know, it, it is, it's very easy to get down because I might only have a Friday, Saturday, or if I'm lucky, a, a Friday, Saturday, Monday type of ordeal. And yeah, it's like you you're putting in that effort and it's like, shit, this is it. And <laughs> yeah. you know, it beats yeah, you up I, like, you know, so it, it's, a, I love that mentality thing, being a teacher, being that health and mm-hmm. PE side of things and seeing the struggles that some people go through and how do they overcome that? Mm-hmm. It's really important. And I feel like mm-hmm. I know you played sports your whole life growing up and for mm-hmm. me and Dimitri has as well. I feel like that has helped because when I, like you said, when I have had plenty of mistakes in the field, that to me, not only do I learn, it's an experience, but like, it also makes me want to get better and get back mm-hmm. out there to, to do it. Yeah. And I think that like, I mean, to be honest, the people like, it's the same, it's the same men, like negative mentality that like, like everybody, everybody had the teammate that's just like, dude, like you have got to get over this. Like, why are you moping right now? Right. Like it always drove me crazy. If like we were getting beat and whatever it was, and you look over and somebody's moping, it's like, yo, it's not over yet. Like, you know, Let's go. It, 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 it's yeah. It's like, if you quit, 
if you start quitting, then you've lost, then you certainly have lost, right? It's the same thing goes in hunting. It's just like if you start moping constantly and you're like, like just keep doing the same things, you're going to keep making the same mistakes. And I think that, you know, just trying to find that mentality and, 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 and you can get out of that too. Like, that's the thing. I think sometimes it's just like some people think that they are like living with this bad luck or this curse and it's just like, you are the curse. Like, <laughs> yeah. If you have that negative mentality, then you are, it's just, it's so, it's so common in sports where it's just like, oh, we just, oh, I'm just getting beat here. Yeah. Like, you know, this guy's better than me. And it's just like, well, okay, just change that mentality. And I bet it's that easy to where at least, at least you're going to compete again. But yeah, he's going to keep beating your ass. you like, yep. you know, dude, so, I, I, guess. I, I saw it last year as we're coaching. I mean, we, my, the team that I was coaching last year, man, I had such uh, great leadership at the senior level. And, uh, I showed you that video cause we were talking about yeah. it. Like in years past, certain times we would play some of these big name teams and we, we lost before we even showed up. Cause it's, Oh, that's who it is. And last mm-hmm. year we didn't, we didn't have that mentality. So we were in some of these really tough games that we probably, you know, on paper, quote unquote, should not have been in, yeah. but we either gave them a dog fight or we won. And it was, you know, it's that, it's that same thing. And I feel like in my mind, like when things would get tough, say in the hunting, it's like, what's, what's going to go wrong today? I bet you I'm going to miss that buck. Or, you know, I, I didn't have many moments like that, but it's, you know, you, you, you do, you start, man, it could be a spiral effect. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, just being conscious of like what your mentality is, like just have a little self check every once in a while. Like, yeah am I, am I pouting around or am I, or am I having fun? And, and honestly, a lot of times with hunting to me, it's just like, just make sure you're having fun because if you're not having fun, then it's easy to mope and then it's we easy to make mistakes. That. And like, you know, what it may not even be something where you're like on purpose pouting. You're just like, yep. ah, I don't know if you're not having fun then like, yeah, well then what's the point? So I guess just to me focusing on fun and and it's, and, and, and it's easy. Like I said, when you first asked the question of like, how do you stay so positive? It's like, well, it's just the most, like, it's the most fun. Right. And like, you know, to wake up and know that you're just like potentially going to be in the game with a buff bowl or a Tom or whatever it is. Like it's pretty cool. It's pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Well, one more question, Zach, cause I want to be conscious of your time. What would you say is over all the podcasts, all the interviews, all the things that you've done, man, like what is one of the most misunderstood, I, I, I don't know, maybe tactic or topic, something along those lines. Maybe you talk about it, but you still see either that tactic being not used in the right way or just any something along the line that maybe come to mind for that. Yeah, just like, just like being hunting when you're on the move. Like I think that like, I think that that's so foreign to most and it was at one point for me too, but we kind of talked about this before we started. It's like, you know, I feel, I feel like a common question is, is like, you know, do you have any tips for ground hunting? And it's like, well, I mean, the tip is, is like, if you're interested in it and you feel that that's a style that, you know, would, would be fun for you again fun for you yeah if it's not gonna be fun then don't do it like <laughs> that's that's you know it's pretty pretty simple but like if it's if it's gonna be fun then like go out there and learn and just start chipping away start chipping away at that mistake because like 
there's get not to say that you couldn't go out in your very first like still hunt with a bow. You don't shoot the biggest buck of your life. It certainly could happen. I don't think that's like, I don't think that that's crazy to think about at all. Or the very first time you see a buck bedded, you go to make a stock and you just kill him. Like, I don't think that's crazy at crazy at all. But what is crazy is to imagine it working when you don't even try because it can't happen. Right. Yeah. So I think that, um, just, uh, in general, I feel like that's a, that's a hard thing to like kind of even wrap your head around. And I almost feel like because it, because it was for me at one point, it's almost this thing that you just fantasize about it's like, no, I ground hunting and being like an effective ground hunter would be pretty cool. That'd be pretty fun. And, but you know, but I can't do it. Or I only got a couple of days out of the year to hunt this year. So like, I'm going to just go back to what I, what I've always done. And like, the first year that I dabbled in ground hunting, I ended up that one right there. I shot out of a tree stand after like, I finally got, I was filming Bill Winky that year and I finally got the opportunity to hunt on my own. And early in the season, I had hunted off the ground and had started to chip away at like learning some things about it. Had some deer in like easy bow range and was feeling pretty confident. But then what did I do? I went right back to what I felt like was safe and what was going to work for sure and uh, because i hadn't had success with that yet i didn't know that it was going to work for me and that fear like just drug me right back to doing the same old so i think in general though like w- because a lot of people don't take that plunge to start to understand how it works and what you can and can't get away with it's really hard to even begin to comprehend like what in the hell I'm even talking about when I'm talking about making a move on a deer or like, like there's this clip in the podcast that I just edited where like there's a big buck out, like a really big buck out in this opening. And I'm just like walking right towards him in the wide open, but I'm just reading his body language right yeah. like now to me. I totally understand <laughs> how to do that. But that was in 2019 that that clip was taken and I know that if I would have saw that in 2016, I'd have been like, what am I even doing? Like, and I was in the wide open, but all I was doing was just like, I know he's not looking at me and I knew the wind was good. So it's like, you know, until you start to try those things and, and test it, like it, it is going to be like, um, it's something that's, this is just not going to be well understood. And it is crazy too, how like, I do, I do believe that deer are good but we're better. Like we can be better than them like on foot, you know, it's just takes some finesse and it takes some experience learning those things. But, um, the one thing that I'm not sure that we're better at is pronghorn. So we'll go test that theory here. (laughs) (laughs) We're good. (laughs) I want to know from 2019, I want to say maybe 2018, I want to know the sales of ghillie suits that you you alone probably uh, made the influence of uh, purchasing. Well, yeah, I, I actually also wonder that often. I also think how funny it is to see like the evolution of that, right? Yeah. Like, and and now how I feel like it's situational. What I choose to wear, like, if I'm out in the plains, like I'll just wear a straight up solid color, and I don't worry about it because when you look across the plains, it's generally a pretty solid color. So yeah. like wearing a dark camo isn't that important to me or sometimes not, not even like a good thing. Um, but now like I have a leafy suit and that's like the extent of what I'll wear because the old ghillie suit that I used to wear while it was sweet, like for concealment and like 
if you want to set up like, like for example, if you're somebody that's like, you know, I don't like heights or you have an injury that prevents you from climbing or whatever your reason is that you don't want to be into a tree. Um, but you also don't want to still hunt. You want to, you want to, maybe you want to still hunt a little bit, but you know, ultimately you'd like to set up more than moving around as much as I like to. If that's the case, and I do think a ghillie suit is, is a good thing to have, and you know, maybe you put it in a pack or something or whatever it may be, but right. for concealment, a full on ghillie suit is the best thing for that. But like I ended up, you know, a lot of times put finding myself putting that thing on and then just like making a stock or just like, moving in general and just feeling snagged or hot or uncomfortable. And I just kind of stopped using it and faded away from using that. But then, but then as I started going back into a timber setting, I started noticing like how much certain things show up with different lighting. Like if you got a real, like real, real gray lighting, like the sky's overcast and, um, a great example. Last year I was with Roy and we were on that hunt in Ohio and we were sneaking down a logging road and it was real gray and we both had the same stuff on, like literally the same exact things. We had first light pants on with a, a leafy suit on top and a camo hat. And I looked back at Roy and I was like, dude, from toe to about right here, you know, on your neck. Yep you look perfect. Like you could be in the wide open and I don't know that a deer would see you, but your face is like the sun right now. You know, it's like, it is glowing. Yeah. So I, so I, uh, we, we went and that day I went home and bought off Amazon. Like I still have a bunch of them, five things of face paint and we just started painting up. And when we did that, it's just like, you know, again, I'm not saying that it's totally necessary, but in that situation where you're dealing with like contrasting light and stuff, it's like, if it helps you one, give you one extra second, it might be the difference between a shot and not. And you could definitely make the same argument about like scent control, right? Which I don't practice any of, but like (laughs) when it comes to camouflage and concealment, it's like, I think, you know, you just kind of have to play that surrounding and that condition and that, um, you know, that, that, uh, vegetation type, like grassy, like pronghorn hunting is a great example. Like if you're wearing real dark camo, you're going to look like you're going to stick out. You're going to contrast that like tan grass that is kind of across the plane. So just kind of, kind of match your surroundings and that. Uh, do you, do you prefer front or like back cover when you're getting in on the move on, on them? I would prefer like a front cover for sure. The trick with front cover though, with that, um, for a bow hunter that like, this is a tip, like just a very basic, not basic, but, um, Wrong. quick tip Yeah, is like when you go to draw that bow, you got to make sure that cover, you got enough room to where when you push the bow out, it's not going to hit that front cover or your arrow is going to clear it. So like the reason I like front cover and actually I like demonstrating this on video is okay. Here's my front cover. It's like, can you, can you hardly see me right there? You know, just my eyes sticking up and then you can read a deer's antlers. You can read his body language. Great, great couple examples would be North Dakota buck, um, which you had brought up earlier 
that buck had us pinned. I mean, he was looking right at us, but Jake wasn't moving. And I needed to move because I obviously had to get in a position to shoot. But in that situation, I was tucked down to where that grass was between me and him. And I like, I always take it to where like the grass is phased out right where like I can just, I can't see his eyes, but I can see his antlers. And you can still see which way he's facing because you're looking at, you know, those antlers Antlers. turning and based off of which way his head's facing, that's when you make the decision to pop up and get that shot. I did that in North Dakota, and then I did that in New York as well. That buck in New York was, uh, he, he was pinned on me too, but I just let him work back into the grass, and he was trying to, I don't know if he was trying to circle downwind of me or the doe that he had yeah. stupidly left. He shouldn't have done that because it's what killed him. It is what ended up getting him killed, but um, he was moving um, through that grass, and I was just reading his reading his body language based off of his antlers. And then just eventually by the time I got the opportunity, I was standing straight up like I would be in the yard shot in 20 yards. I was, as far as, you know, just easy shots, it felt like shooting one in the yard. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. Dude, you got anything else before? No. Cool, man. Zach, I appreciate it, man. And obviously I, I, we always end with tell people where they could find you. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, there you go. Check out uh, the hunting public, check out Zach, what he has his, his adventure this year. And man, I wish you the best of luck this upcoming year, man. It, it's a pleasure to have you on finally. And um, I know we had Aaron on, dude, that was what in like the fifties episode, yeah, like in a the year and a half ago, almost a year and a half ago. And uh, now here you are. It's, it's so surreal and I love doing this and having the opportunity to meet you, man. And it last, last month and everything. So I appreciate it, dude. Yeah. Well, I had a blast meeting, I had a blast meeting you and everybody at that tethered event. And like, I'm just always happy to talk hunting, man. Yep. Like I said, I appreciate you guys giving me the opportunity to, you know, yep. BS a little bit about it here this evening. So. Uh, absolutely, man. Well, thanks for uh, tuning in everybody. See you next week till next time. Antler up.